0: day. Well, if you're just now joining us, we've been in a preaching series called Born to You. And what a great, great way to kick things off this morning, as we just heard from Handel's Messiah, really the end there. If you have a smartphone or a tablet or your Bible with you, we'd love for you to turn to Luke chapter 1 with us. We've been going verse by verse through Luke chapter 1 and 2, and and there's a Bible in front of you you'd like to uh, follow along there. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to have that Bible as our gift from us to you, you can take that home, put your name in it. You know, as we look at Christmas and we look at Luke chapter one, what we're going to look at today is a, a section of verses that talk about finding your purpose, finding your divine journey, and what that looks like for your life. You know th- this is a great time of the year to do just Uh, That And there is a Christmas movie. I just love Christmas movies. Uh, I don't know about you, but there's a Christmas movie that made me think of uh, finding your purpose in life, and it's the movie A Christmas Story. How many of you, show of hands, have seen A Christmas Story in your life? Yeah. And if not, you can just turn on TBN. It'll be playing for the next three weeks straight, all right, over and over and over again. And it's really the story of young Ralphie Parker, and he's got the brown glasses and the blonde slicked back hair, and he discovers his purpose for that particular Christmas season. So he discovers his purpose. And what is his purpose? A red rider. What was it? A a BB gun. That's right. And, And once he discovers his purpose, he is willing to endure hardship in order that he will find and get that BB gun that he would endure a bully, as you watch the rest of that movie. He would endure the constant nagging phrase from his parents. you will shoot your eye out, right? And you hear that over and over again, but he will endure. You see, few things in life are as important as finding your purpose, finding your divine purpose for your life. And here's the thing, when you have purpose, when you understand your purpose, you will, you'll endure hardship. You'll endure tough times. You'll, you'll go through the gamut and you'll walk through it. And here's why. Because you know there's a purpose. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. Here, I'll give you a couple of quick examples of this. So you're my friends, right? Man, that wasn't very good, all right? <laughs> but I'll just go on a few of you. At least I have three friends here this morning. So uh, you three fr- people that are my friends this morning, Let's just say, because you're my friends, I say, here's what we're going to do. Uh, you're going to go with me, and we're going, to, we're going to go put up Christmas lights at my house, okay? And we're going to—it's going to be cold. It's, it's not going to be real comfortable. But at the end of putting up Christmas lights, we're not going to turn them on. In fact, we're just going to leave them off. And then at the end of the year, we're just going to take them back down. You'd be like, no, I'm not going to do that. Even though I'm your friend, right? I'm not going to do that with you. Now, if I tell you, because there, there's three still people that are my friends, okay? If I say to those three friends, hey, friends, if you go help me put these Christmas lights up, all right? At the end of it, we're going to sit back. We're going to drink hot chocolate. We're going to drink some coffee. We're and then we're going to turn those babies on. And we're going to look at the wonderment. You may say, you know what? I'll do that. I mean, it's the same exact event, but there's purpose added into it, right? Another example I heard uh, was try being a doctor for a moment, okay? Think of yourself and you're like, okay, you're a doctor. This is your role. And you have to tell a woman that she has this condition. And the condition is this, that her waistline is going to grow 14 inches and she's going to go between probably gaining weight between 10 and 40 pounds. You tell her that, she'll probably punch you in the face, Okay. Now, my wife has been told that exact condition twice and she was excited about it and I was excited about it because she was pregnant. Right? You see, it's the same exact event. Are you with me this morning? All right. It's the same exact event, but it's a different purpose all together. And no matter who you are, Whether you're a teenager, whether you're a college student, whether you're an adult, whether you're a senior adult here this morning, no matter where you come from, no matter whether you are on the faith spectrum, whether you have complete physical health or you have some mental challenges, you know that one out of every four individuals in America today have been proven that have some kind of mental challenge along the way. No matter who we are, no matter where we are in life, that there is nothing that we have There is nothing that that makes us doubt the fact that we have been created for something. But the problem is, have we discovered our purpose? So from our study this morning in Luke chapter 1, we're going to look at 57, verses 57 through 80 this morning. And what we're going to look at this morning is John, John the Baptist. We're going to look at his, his, his mom's pregnancy, and then we're going to look at his birth. So I want to quickly set up the scene. Okay, so two weeks ago we talked about Elizabeth and Zechariah. And here's the scene quickly. They're in their 60s, their 70s, their 80s. They're a little, you know, mature in age. And an angel of the Lord, Gabriel, he comes to Zechariah and Elizabeth says, you're going to be pregnant. You're going to have a baby. It's going to be a miracle baby. And they think that's crazy. In fact, Zechariah doubts God. Well, she becomes pregnant. He says, how can she get pregnant? She's She's, what, what does he say? I, I wrote this down. That, that she is um, older in age. I love that. That's a veteran move right there by Zechariah, right? And, and she becomes pregnant. And it's unbelievable. We're going to look at John's birth. Look at it with me in verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. So right here we have the miracle child of John and we have the record of his birth. And Johnny has a divine plan. He has a divine purpose for his life, just like God gives every single child and every single adult. Dr. E.T. Sullivan said this, the greatest forces in the world are babies. And I would agree, except for when they have a dirty diaper. That's the only time that I would probably nullify that statement. Verse 58 continues, Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. That God's great mercy, what is that? It's His favor. It's His undeserving love and grace towards people that don't deserve it at all. That this is His loving kindness. And they have great joy. Well, first of all, because they understand the situation. They understand about the parents. But they also understand that there is something special about this baby. Verse 59. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. So they do what's customary. On the eighth day, all Jews would circumcise their sons and then there would be a naming process. Now, before we get to the naming process, there's many different reasons why the the Jews would circumcise their their babies. But one of the reasons, which is very interesting, is that 2,000 years ago, medical Practice was not what it is today, okay? And because it's not what it is today, there was not that much cleanliness. And this was advanced medical practice. In fact, it cut down the disease rate quite considerably in their nation. And then they get to the naming process. What are they going to name him? Well, verse 60, look at it with me. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. Well, they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Now, this culture... They would, first of all, maybe sometimes name their the children after their physical appearance. How many of you were here when I went through the book of Ruth? Real show of hands real quick. Do you remember? You have Elimelech and you had Naomi. And they named one of their children after their physical appearance and they named him. Literally, his name meant Mr. Puny. Okay, that was his name because of his physical appearance. Also, they would also possibly name their kids after their dad or after their mom or after some family. And we sometimes do that as well. My, I am named after my uh, father. But this is not to be the case here, even though they're like, well, let's send Zechariah. Let's give the old man a bone. I mean, after all he's been through, this would be a great shot in the arm, right, for this guy to have his name. But he says no. Um, and he, what he does is he takes a tablet. And in that culture, they didn't have iPads. OK, it's a stretch. They didn't write, he didn't write it down on a wipe off board. What he had was this, this basically this flat, thin board. And there would be all of this wax on it. And he would take a sharp object and he would write in Greek the word John. And so they're like, okay, his name will be John. Verse 64. Look at it with me. The first word, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. It didn't take a a while. He didn't have to take medicine. And over the next three months, go to physical therapy. Immediately, he went from mute to speaking. And now he just didn't go for, to, to just saying a few words. He went to praising God. And I can only imagine all of the great things he had to say. And this is, this is our God, the God of impossible, what the choir saying about wonderful counsel that the government will rest upon his shoulders. This kind of awesome God can open the mouths of people. Verse sixty-five. All the neighbors were filled with awe. Yes, I would have been too, right? And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this, who heard about this, wondered about it, asking, "What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand is on him." So people are connecting. They're they're talking. People are going to, next other, next, to that next house uh, next to them all over the hill country. Did you hear the news about Elizabeth and Zachariah's baby? Did you hear about this, that, that they're in their 80s and she had a child? They, how unresponsible is that, right? Can you believe the news? Did you see it on Jerusalem TV last night? It was right on the, it was the first spot on the news. Maybe a couple of them are going, maybe this is the forerunner of the Messiah. And then they ask, what in God's green earth is this child going to be? And this is the question that we ask, not just of babies, but of our lives. What are we going to be? What, are, what is our purpose in life? I, I remember holding both of my daughters when they were both born and I remember looking into their eyes and, and holding them. And I'm thinking to myself, what are you going to be? And then shortly after thinking, a boy better never touch you at the same time. But, you know, we, we think about that, right? Maybe you've, you had a child and you held that child in your arms. You thought, what is this child going to be? Or you held your grandchild or your great grandchild. And you said, what is this baby going to be? See, there's a divine purpose for every single man, woman, and child. And God's hand was on John, just like God's hand is on us. And he had a purpose for John, just like he has a purpose for you and I. Verse 67. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So Zechariah begins to speak upon John. Oath He swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve Him without fear. in holiness and righteousness before all our days. He speaks with John and he prophesies over John and he speaks into John's life. And I I just want to encourage you. There is such great, great joy and purpose when we declare purpose over another, over our children, parents, speak purpose over your kids, friends, speak purpose over your friends. So often the case, I sit down over coffee with someone and they'll talk about how they just, in essence, aren't discovering their purpose for their life. And it's at that moment that I can, just like John, speak purpose into their life. And, and several scholars circle several things that Zachariah says here that I want to point out. And maybe if you have your Bible or you're taking notes in your listening guide, you can write these down. And there's five of them real quickly. First of all, that, that Zechariah he points out that first Jesus would be Redeemer. And and to redeem, to be a redeemer means this, that in essence, that you go to a prisoner, you unlock the chains and you set them free based upon what you've done for them. And this is what Jesus has done, not just for prisoners, but for prisoners of sin. And that Jesus paid the price on the cross for me and for you. He paid the ultimate price and we are set free. The second thing that John says about Je- or that Zachariah says about Jesus is that Jesus would be the warrior king, and there's a few instances he mentions there. But one of them is he mentions the word horn, and when there is a mention of the word horn, that symbolizes victory, and the warrior king is going to come into a situation where there's a weary army. Um, that is overcome and he's going to arrive and he's going to lead victory and he's going to reverse the circumstance and he's going to change the entire situation. The third thing that Zechariah says about Jesus would be he would be the savior of the world, that he'd be the forgiveness of sins. He would be the remission of debt on our behalf, that the, the account, which was way in the red, would be zeroed. And the second Adam, according to Paul in the book of Romans, would zero out that account because of what he would do. And he would erase the first Adam's account of sin. The fourth thing that Zechariah says about Jesus is that he would be the rising sun. That's in verse 48, the rising sun. And what this indicates here is that Jesus, one of his names would be, he would be dayspring. Meaning this, that there's a weary people in that culture. And even today, there's war and there's fighting and there's, there's so much noise And in all all the while, there's darkness. But the dayspring will bring a new dawn to a new day where there will be joy and hope and life on this day. And then Zechariah would finally say in the fifth thing that Jesus would be the Prince of Peace. That he would be the Prince of Peace. The choir sang about it just a little bit ago. That he would echo the sentiments of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. And when our life slips into death, the Prince of Peace will be there. When we encounter the valley, the Prince of Peace will be there. So can you just... Picture a moment with me. So the, young fa- the old father, Zachariah, he has the newborn John in his arms, just a few days old, and maybe he's rocking him. And you can just picture it with me that John is looking up into his dad's eyes and Zachariah says, John, you're going to be the forerunner. You're going to be the forerunner of the Redeemer, the warrior king, the savior of the world, the dayspring and the prince of peace. Can you imagine that scene? And then in verse 80, we come to the end here in our, in our text. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. So John would grow. He would, he would take steps towards his divine purpose. And so many of us perhaps know the, the rest of the story of John the Baptist. And if you'd like, you can learn and read more about that in the Gospels and the New Testament. But well, this morning, just a few life lessons for us. As you're using your listening guide this morning, you can get them out and you can fill in the blanks there. And I would encourage you to take notes. I'm pretty sure that there is a gate-taking, uh, there's a gate-taking note in heaven. All right? There's a, or should I say it a different way? There's a gate that is for note-takers in heaven. And you can get through it into heaven by taking And I, that's in Leviticus 17, I think. Um and that's, and that's, I always say that, is that's for preachers who want to make stuff up because no one's ever going to go there and look that up, all right? So, <laughs> so take notes, all right? The first life lesson I want you to uh, see there is number one, people have purpose. The people, the you, the me, we have purpose. The Zacharias son John, he had an incredible divine purpose, and so do you. You're no different than John. You may not have been born to an 80 year old person, but you have just as much purpose. Perhaps today, though, you feel aimless. Perhaps today you feel purposeless. Perhaps today you are so purposeless in your life right now that you have just turned your back on everything because you, you want to become numb to the pain. But God has a reason why you're here today. God has a reason why you put on the clothes you did. There is a reason why you walk through these doors. Where you are and when you are is exactly how God has purposed and He has a plan for your life. And here's the plan that he has for you. The purpose of people is to be a part of God's plan. The purpose of people is to be a g- part of God's plan. Here's what I mean by that. That the universe, that history, that this planet, that you here today, everyone here and everyone around the world is meant to bring praise, is meant to bring glory to God. And another way to say it is this. The epicenter of our purpose is God. Think about it with me real quickly. The creation of the world, was it for us or was it for God? It was for God. Psalm 19, 1 says it this way. The heavens declare the what? The glory of God. The offer of salvation. Is it for us or for Him? Well, it is for us because of God's glory. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 talks about how salvation is offered to us to put on display God's glorious grace, to give Him glory. See, your purpose is not just for you. It's for God. Now here's, let's just stop for a second, okay? This is where I theologically struggle. This is where I, as a person, kind of have a hard time, all right? And I don't know, you need to be honest, because this is a safe place here at Grayson, okay? Let's just be honest for a second with ourselves. Does that seem a little unloving for it to be all about him and not us? Does that seem a little bit egocentric on God's part? Does that seem a little bit selfish on his part and a little? It makes us need to be selfless. Does that seem like that to you? Anybody except, okay, I'm all alone. You leave me all alone up here, all right? I think we struggled with that. But let me give you a couple of examples and share with you why this should make sense more than we think it does. We have a, we have a dog at home, my family, and his name is Buck. And uh, we have a picture of Buck on the screen. There he is. All right. And he's a chocolate lab and he's about 90 pounds, and he's 90 pounds spoiled rotten, okay? He lives better than most humans in this world, unfortunately. And uh, I gave him, he was just a few weeks old, to my wife on her birthday, a little red bow around the neck. I was like husband of the year, you know? And uh, he, he knows where his meal ticket is, okay? And it's not me. It's my wife, all right? Like, if we're watching a movie, he's not with the girls, he's not with me, he's with his meal ticket, all right? He's with my bride every single time. He knows! He knows who's got the soft heart. He knows who will give him an extra treat. It's not me, it's my bride, all right? Because she, she, she loves more people and him more than anybody really in our family, all right? Um, so he knows where it's at. And, and, and here's the, I'm, I'm kidding about that, but we want the very best for Buck. We love Buck. He's a part of our family, okay? And we, we want him to be physically healthy. We want him to be uh, disease-free. We want him to live a long time. And so we're going to take care of him. We're going to help him live the greatest life he could ever live. It's not within his sphere of understanding on how to live. It's in our sphere. And we have the resources to do that. It's in his best efforts for him to wrap his life around ours. And in so doing, he will live the greatest life possible. And he is trying to do that. In the same way, God desires to see us live life to the fullest. John chapter 10, verse 10, that we would live life and life to the fullest abundantly, overflowing. And so God says this, if you want to live that way, if you want to understand life to the fullest, not only on this earth, but in eternity as well, I want you to wrap your life around me because that's what you've been wired to do from the beginning. But this is hard. This goes against our grain. This is, this is uh, very hard for us to do. And here's why. Because this life, this world, this universe, we make it all about what and who? Just point to yourself real fast, all right? And just turn to your neighbor and say, it's all about me. I didn't know if you knew that. Yeah, that's right. It's all about me. And and look, this isn't new, okay? This isn't a Southern Indiana, Kentuckiana thing. This is a human history thing. And I read something recently, and I just love the way the author recaptures this. That God, with a stroke of the brush, the universe is created and the world is set into place. And the angels are like, wow, that's awesome, God. And and he begins to create our world. And he does all of these amazing things. And he begins to seek out and send out His glory. And then He creates mankind, you and me, and He creates us in a very special way, according to Genesis, right, that He created man. In His own image, we're a very special creation. And then God does the unthinkable. And here's what He does. He hands the brush to mankind. And He says, here's what I want you to do, mankind. I've created all of this, but in the middle, in the center, I haven't yet created it. I haven't done it yet. I need you to finish it. I need you to name the animals. I need you to do several other things. I want you to put the, 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 the cherry on top. And he does all this. He hands the brush to us, even though that's crazy, because he knows that anyone who has been in love, anyone who has been in love before knows that it's only love when a person chooses you. And he wanted creation centered in love. That's part of his essence. That's part of his character. So we take the paintbrush. You and I, we take the paintbrush and we begin to paint in the center. Do we, do we write in the words God? Do we put God in the middle? No. What do we do? We move him out of the way and we paint us in the middle. And that's been the mindset of every single solitary person since Adam. And look, look our kids, you as a kid and, and your children, perhaps if you've had children, This has been their mindset ever from the beginning. I don't have to teach my kids mine. I didn't have to teach my uh, my child no. I didn't have to teach my child those things. I never had to send my kids to rebellion school, okay? I never had to send my kids to selfishness camp. They got that from their mom, all right? She knows I'm kidding. See, even on our best days, even on our best days, even our faith is selfish. Think about the prayers we offer. I, I'll, just talk, I'll just share with you some of the prayers I've offered at time to time. It, it, it's formed in, these, in this one word, gimme. Give me, gimme, gimme. Right? Lord, I need this. Lord, I need that. It's all about uh, me. <laughs> God, help me get this. Stop him. Smite her. Make everyone behave just like I want them to. God, why aren't you helping? God, are you there? And then God's like, no, 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 You're not getting it. You put yourself in the center and then we decide, oh, God, you're not doing what I wanted. He's not around. And then we just end up doubting God. And this gets us right back to the very beginning question that I asked. Is he loving because he is seeking his own glory? You see, there's a difference. There's a difference, though between how God seeks his glory and how we seek and pursue our glory. So how we seek and pursue our glory is this. In the the government, in Jesus' time, the Romans, what they would do is if they wanted to seek the glory of their own empire, they would crucify men and women on a cross. They would tear down walls. They would build up these shrines to celebrate their victories, wouldn't they? They would crush their enemies. what did God do? Did he crush his enemies? Did Did he build crosses for other people? Would he build monuments to celebrate? No, this is how God pursued his glory. Who being in very nature did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. See, what did he do? Did he pull the God card? Did he crush his enemies? No. While the traitors are spitting on him and while people are nailing him to a cross, he loved them. See, God said this. Basically, you, you, mankind, you painted me out of the picture. You pushed me to the side, so here's what I'm going to do. And he flies down to earth. And the angels are like, what is he doing? And he derobes in the process and he comes in the form of a human baby and he grows up to be a servant and he dies on the very cross that the Romans used to crush others. When we understand this, it's completely different and it offers our praises and our purpose becomes God's glory. You see, friend, I I don't know who you are today, perhaps. Maybe you came here for the first time. Maybe you've been coming for a few weeks or maybe you've been here at this church for a long time. God has a purpose for you. And he knows what he's doing. And so here's what I'd love for you to do. I'd love for you just on your listening guide, just draw a target. Just draw a target. Draw, draw, Draw a circle. And then draw another circle in the middle of that target. And what I want you to write in that inner circle is God. God at the center. Because that's His purpose. And when we begin to understand this, when we begin to make it about Him, what we understand and discover our purpose for our lives. Mark chapter 8, Jesus. Captures this in another way. He says, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Another way of saying it is God didn't come to this earth to be a piece of your pie. He came to be the very middle of it. And he's going to work in your life to see that happen. And that leads me to my second life lesson this morning. God's purpose will always begin in you before he can ever work through you. That God's purpose is always going to begin in you. It's always going to work in you before it's ever going to, he's ever going to work through you. Think about it with me in our scripture. Zachariah's uh, purpose was very clear uh, from God's perspective. John's perspective was very clear from God's perspective. But Zechariah couldn't see it. God had to use a catalytic moment in Zechariah's life by shutting his mouth to grow Zechariah. And in the process, God begins to work in Zechariah so that then God can work through Zechariah. See, we call them valleys. We call them tough times. We call them physical constraints. We call them uh, Things that happen at work or things that happen at home or uh, difficult circumstances. But you know what God calls them? He calls them growth catalytic moments in your life to discover your very purpose and work His work in you. You know, this is last week. Um, Somebody was in our worship team. It was getting ready for today. I was sharing with them my story. And I was sharing with them how God used a catalytic moment in my life, a physical injury to change the trajectory of my life. At the time, all I saw was the valley. At the time, all I saw was heartache. But now I see the divine purpose of God. God was working in me before he could work through me. And here's what it did. When that growth catalytic moment was in my life, whatever that, that, that valley that I was going through, finally I put my refuge, not in my physical ability, not in my own dream, but finally in God, just like the psalmist does in 63.7. He says, Because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. And I love this. Verse 8. Might this maybe be your verse? I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. That we take refuge in him. And these promises stand true. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His what? To His what? His purpose. Do you see how God has a plan? So just real quickly as I close today, perhaps you are facing an unsure, unsure situation, a painful loss or a difficult breakup, a financial tragedy a massive course, course correction or a conversation that went in a way that you weren't expecting this morning, could you think this way, that God is working His purpose in your life so that then He can work through your life? See, in many ways, we're just like John, and here's why. We are made to pave the way for Christ and to tell people about what Jesus and who He is, and He is the ultimate gift, and that is our purpose. And this can be our purpose much greater than all the other things that we could make up. A a job, 2.5 kids in a white picket fence, two cars, the the perfect vehicle, the perfect number in our bank account, the uh, 401k retirement status amount, or even a Red Ryder BB gun. God's purpose is greatest. And maybe today you're struggling in your purpose, but I pray today you would leave strong in your purpose.